You are listening to Sanction School, a podcast by UK Finance. During each episode, our UK Finance hosts, Neil Wiley and Anila Haleem, are joined by guest teachers and students to simplify sanctions together. The students will be taught a key area of sanctions and later be tested on their knowledge with 10 quick-fire questions. Join us, test your knowledge, and let's see how we score. Hello, and thank you for joining the first series of our Sanction School podcast. I am your host, Anila Helene, the Sanctions Policy Manager at UK Finance. I'm pleased to welcome our teacher, Neil Wiley, who is the Director of Sanctions at UK Finance, with over 20 years of experience in the financial sector, who is also a Fellow of the International Compliance Association and Society for Advanced Legal Studies. Hi, Neil. Hey, Anila. Nice to be here. Lovely to have you. Um, I'm also pleased to welcome our pupil, Faith Iwika, currently studying her A-levels at Harris Academy, Greenwich. Hi, Faith. How are you? Hi, Anila. Thank you for having me here. Today, we'll be covering the brief history of sanctions, where our teacher, Neil, will set out the scope for our pupil, Faith, ending with a test for Faith and all of us to take part in. So without further ado, our teacher, Neil, you've been in the sanctions area for a number of years now. Can you please give a brief intro to yourself and also talk about your journey coming from as a pupil to now teacher? So I'm uh, now the Director of Sanctions at UK Finance and I've moved on through my sanctions career by keeping up with study since I left sanctions school. It's a fast changing area as everybody who's involved in sanctions knows. So every day is a school day and for Faith today is that day. Yeah. And Faith, um, just coming to you, sanctions is a very niche sector. What do you know of sanctions and does it interest you and what are your interests within it at the moment? Before, I didn't really know much about sanctions. Obviously, being in UK finance, I'm learning a lot more and it has piqued my interest and it's something I'll be interested to look at in the future. Great, great, lovely stuff. So I'm going to hand it over to Neil now, who'd briefly talk about the scope of the history of sanctions. And when Neil has finished teaching his lesson, I will then uh, do a short quiz, a test that you will be answering, which everyone who's listening to can also join in and um, score themselves to see how they get on. Uh, So Neil, over to you. Thank you, Anila. So Faith, welcome. Um, today we're just going to go through the history of sanctions. So we'll we'll start way way back in time. So the the earliest uh, recorded instance of sanctions that we've got that's reliable is from 432 BC, uh, and this is the Megarian Decree. If effectively the Athenians banned the Megarians from using their ports and marketplaces. And it was it was really an embargo. And what this led to was the Megarians were quite friendly and allied with the Spartans. And there is uh, maybe not concrete evidence, but there is uh, a lot of discussion and debate around whether or not this was part of uh, the catalyst for the start of the Peloponnesian War. Um, which was between Athens and Sparta. So typically sanctions are there to react to a war, but it looks like in this case they may have actually started one. So um, we'll leave the ancient Greeks to their Peloponnesian War and and move on a fair few hundred years. If we get to sort of around about 1806 to 1808, this is the earliest recorded sanctions that we can see from the US. Um, And this is... uh, President Jefferson when he enacted 
complete embargo against Haiti and they effectively cut off all trade and attempted to isolate Haiti. It only lasted for two years, um, but again, very early instance of embargoes. Coming forward to the very early part of last century, obviously there was the First World War, and this triggered the UK to put in place the Trading with the Enemy Act in 1914, and this made it uh, an offence to trade with any nation that was deemed an enemy of the United Kingdom. Um, And three years later, rather bizarrely, the US enacted an act of the same name, Trading with the Enemy Act from 1917. Both acts are still in force, um, although the UK one's not as actively used as the US one. The US Trading with the Enemy Act is still in place and still forms part of the Cuba sanctions. But other than that, it's, it's kind of sat there on the shelf just in case it's ever needed. So sanctions, as we can see, they've they've gone throughout history, but the reality is the current sanctions that we have now are effectively since the Second World War. So they've all started since 1945. And the primary driver behind this was the, the completion or the end of the Second World War and the starting of the United Nations. So we we saw part of the United Nations formation included the ability to implement sanctions. And then obviously there's post-Second World War, we, we kind of went into a, a Cold War. One of the problems with the United Nations is the five permanent members, so Russia, the US, the UK, France and China, effectively the, the allies that were victorious against the the Germans and the Austrians and the Italians. These are the ones that have a veto, so it's really difficult to get sanctions against any of those or against any really allied country that those member states, permanent member states, have a close relationship with. So this is this is why, um, if we just fast forward to today, we don't see any United Nations sanctions against Russia. What the UN did do, um, and they have put sanctions in place, so there's uh, Rhodesia was an early one. Um, we saw the UN sanctions against South Africa for apartheid in the 70s. Um, and even today, there are still 14 UN sanctions regimes in place. And these include the likes of the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, um, terrorism sanctions against groups such as ISIL and Al-Qaeda. Uh, there are some against Iraq, some against South Sudan and others. Uh, and this is where the UN is able to get that agreement between, effectively, if they can get agreement between Russia, China, the US, UK and France, then then they'll be put in place. When we talked about the Megarians back in ancient Greece, this was a complete embargo. Um, and as Maya mentioned uh, in one of her podcasts, complete embargoes are a little bit unfair on the individual citizens of the country who really don't have the ability to change the behaviour of the state. So we've we've kind of moved away from complete embargoes or comprehensive sanctions. So we don't see sanctions against the whole country anymore. What we tend to see is a program where, slightly misleadingly, the country name will be there <laughs> for the name of the program. So it will say the Russia sanctions, but it's not against the whole of Russia. It's against specific parts of the economy or specific parts of government. The trigger for this was the the Iraq sanctions in in the very early 1990s. The humanitarian impact there was really poor and it it became really 
quite obvious that sanctions needed to be a bit smarter, a bit more targeted. And these are the the kind of phrases that you'll hear now is smart or targeted sanctions, where they're much more list based. The prohibitions are not quite so wide ranging. They're very specific, um, but they're still very complicated. If we look at the sanctions that are being put in place generally across the globe, and there's lots of groups of countries that do this, what we also see is the extraterritorial impact of an individual country imposing sanctions because their companies and their citizens will have to adhere to that irrespective of where they are in the world. The countries that those sanctions may impact negatively, even though they're not part of the target, have put in place uh, preventative legislation. So the UK had the Protection of Trading Interests Act in the 1980s, and this was to prevent overseas legislation from having effect in the UK. And we saw that taken on by the European Union in 96 with the EU blocking regs, which really targeted uh, US sanctions against Cuba, Iran and Libya from taking effect in the European Union. Super complex, is it effective? maybe not as effective as uh, the legislators would have liked, but we have it, and I think it's diplomacy more than the legislation, which uh, leads to areas like Cuba still being able to receive some trade from countries outside of uh, the US. So if we look at the effectiveness of sanctions, this is one of those areas that has huge academic debate. There are some really good examples where the sanctions have pretty much achieved what they set out to do and they've been closed down. So we mentioned earlier that the UN has about 14 in in flight at the moment. Throughout the history of the UN, there, there have been around 30 regimes. So there's 16 or so that have been in place but have been closed down. Not always because of success, but they, they've been closed down. Let's go on to a couple of case studies. So we'll, we'll look at Cuba. Primarily, this is the oldest sanctions regime that we have in place. And these started in 1960. And the only country that imposes sanctions against Cuba is the United States. And the reason for this is in a twist of fate. The uh, the US withdrew support for the Batista government, which then allowed Castro, with help from Che Guevara, to actually overthrow that government. So when the US withdrew their support, the government was overthrown. The outcome of that government being overthrown was then the the Castro government nationalised all US interests on Cuba and did so without any compensation being given back to those that had put them in place. And this was the crux of why those sanctions were triggered, because effectively US interests were confiscated. Those sanctions are still in place. You, you might think that 60 odd years is, is a long enough time and they should get over it and, and let's just get back to trading with Cuba. And we have seen um, some easing of those under the Obama administration, but then the Trump administration reversed some of those. We'll see how Biden gets on. But basically the, the Cuban sanctions are very far reaching. They're extremely complex. They've got some old law. So we mentioned earlier the Trading with the Enemy Act, which is still part of that. There are other specific pieces of legislation that, that hit Cuba, just Cuba. These have all led to Cuba being a really complex area for European banks uh, to interact with. And this is problematic because the European Union is Cuba's largest trading partner and the European Union do not have any sanctions against Cuba. 
but the proliferation and, and propensity for the US dollar to be included in international trade makes it a nexus to US sanctions, so it brings those US sanctions into play, which is a, a very difficult thing for everybody to manage, especially at an international banking level. If we go to Iran, so this, again, very old sanctions. These came in the late 70s, 79, 1980. So uh, 1979 was when they were actually imposed. Again, there are various justifications for this. Um, it was the US leading. Most notably, it was the nuclear proliferation that people were concerned about. And this is the catalyst of why sanctions were imposed against Iran. They've also been accused of uh, being a state sponsor of terrorism. And it's it's a very, again, what, what we find is the older the program, the more complex it gets because it's very easy to put measures in, but they very rarely get removed. So th this leads to complexities. We also saw events at the US embassy in Tehran in 79, um, being another trigger for putting Iranian sanctions in place. These were increased in 84. There's more sanctions going against Iran in 92. Um, and it's basically the, the US program against Iran is probably broader than the one it has against Cuba in terms of the legislation, but just not so long standing. But it, it covers all sorts of areas, chemical, biological, nuclear, um, advanced conventional weapons and it's it's one of the one of the complex ones that that still causes problems for international banks recently we saw the joint plan of action which was effectively a deal between Iran and the European Union uh, and the US um, so the UK was still a member of the European Union at this time and this was to try and find a way out of the sanctions that are imposed against Iran and basically the plan looked like it was moving slowly but surely into a, a good space. European countries were starting to re-engage with Iran, Peugeot, Total, all these, these corporates were moving back into Iran, moving back into the market. The economy started to recover slightly. And then, as with Cuba, uh, the Trump administration withdrew from the deal. And this caused a snapback of sanctions from a US perspective and because of the size of the US economy and the impact of US sanctions, this really uh, stopped the JCPOA pretty much dead in its tracks. They are still trying to negotiate uh, a restart of that with the Biden administration, but these are really difficult things to get in place. They take a long time and international diplomacy and politics is not great. Sorry to interrupt, what is the JCPOA? So it stands for the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, um, <laughs> which yeah. is a bit of a, a long title for uh, something that's not very joint and doesn't seem to have much action in it. But the comprehensive part is definitely true. Um, but it, it was a, an agreement with basically the permanent members of the UN Security Council plus the European Union. Um, because of the proximity of the European Union. So it meant that countries like uh, Germany, European Union representatives were part in the negotiations to try and get Iran to 
behave in a way that was acceptable so that some of the sanctions could get rolled back. And the idea would be, if you improve your behaviour a bit, we'll drop some of the sanctions. You can then improve your behaviour a bit more, we'll drop some more. And it was that step by step. Um, But as I mentioned, unfortunately, the US withdrew from that under the Trump administration, um, which caused the plan to not 100% fail, but it certainly didn't allow it to continue progressing in the way that it was before uh, the US withdrew. So if we if we just move right up to date, so uh, everybody will be aware Russia is probably the most newsworthy sanctions regime that we have at the moment. It's the one that's uh, being amended the most. As we record this podcast, we've already had 14 amendments to the statutory instrument, which is extremely unusual. We, we very rarely get amendments, let alone so many in such a short time. But what what we saw with Russia in 2014 when they invaded Crimea was a, a change in the way that the sanctions were put in place. So n- no longer was it just the government, um, just export controls. Now there was some targeting. So this is where we started to see what they call sectoral sanctions. And these are aimed at specific areas of an economy. So for Russia, oil and gas are huge areas of the economy. So what we saw was there were restrictions on oil exploration technology, restrictions on oil extraction equipment, restrictions on lending to certain companies and banks if they were involved in oil and gas in a particular way. So rather than just banning lending to Russia, it was banning lending to specific banks or companies in specific areas. So it's uh, it was very complicated. The other thing that they did, which we hadn't really seen, was they allowed some loans, but the repayment time was really short, like 14 days or 30 days. So that meant that really the, the companies couldn't lend money to invest, really. It was a very short-term loan, and it was another measure that was brought in, first seen uh, against Russia. And then if we come forward to February this year, clearly things with Russia have taken a turn for the worst. The invasion of Ukraine has led to ever more prohibitions being put in place. And and like I mentioned, the the 14 updates to the regulations is is quite something. But we've seen, uh, again, very targeted sanctions against specific behaviours, specific products or specific areas of the economy so things like construction or extraction or chemical production these are all starting to be targeted we've also seen people being targeted for being associated with the government or helping the government achieve its aim so it's not that you are necessarily undertaking the work but if you're facilitating something that allows it to happen this is bringing people and companies into the the remit of sanctions for Russia. So I think we will stop there. We're up to Russia, which is the the most uh, recent uh, change in the way that sanctions are being applied. It, it's groundbreaking, the stuff that's happening in Russia. It will continue to develop over the next couple of years. I think it's quietened down just from the sheer volume, some of the other regimes that are obviously still in place. But I'm going to hand back to Anila and we'll see how we get on with the exam. Thank you, Neil, for providing us a brief background on the history of sanctions. Uh, Faith, how did you find the teaching of today's podcast? It was really good. It was really informative and quite easy to understand. It wasn't like too complex. 
Great. Well, as you know, all schools have tests and this one is no different. As the nominated examinations invigilator here at the Sanction School, I now have to oversee your final exam. So I will be asking you 10 questions. So are you ready? Yeah. Great. Number one, when were sanctions first used? Um, I think sanctions were first used, was it 432 BC? Great. What date are all our active sanctions regimes after? Uh, 1945. Great. What sort of sanctions do we try to implement now? Right now, is it embargoes we're trying to implement? Have another try. Um, uh, targeted sanctions. Great. We got there in the end. Can we give a yes or no answer to the question, are sanctions effective? Uh, no. Great. When did sanctions against Cuba start? 1960. Well done. That's correct. What was the primary reason for the US imposing sanctions against Cuba? Um, against Cuba? Not sure I remember that one. Okay, that was when they nationalised all of their assets without compensation. Okay. When were sanctions first implemented against Iran by the US? Um, 1979. Great. Other than the US, can you name another jurisdiction that has sanctioned Iran? Um, could you say the UN? Yep, UN is one of the jurisdictions. And what types of sanctions were brought in for Russia sanctions? What change was there? Uh, there were sectoral sanctions. Sectoral sanctions is the answer. And how many amendments have we seen since the Russia-Ukraine conflict? Was it 14? Amazing, 14. So well done, Faith. Thank you for listening to the Sanction School podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson and scored well on the test. Uh, thank you to Neil for giving us a brief background on the history of sanctions. Uh, thank you to Faith for being today's pupil. The next Sanctions School podcast will be on the UK sanctions regime, where our guest teacher will be Maya Lester QC. We look forward to you joining and hope that you enjoy the series. Thank you from me, Anila Haleem. Thank you for listening to Sanction School, a podcast by UK Finance. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson and scored well on the test. Join us next time as we continue to explore the world of sanctions. Don't forget to follow the podcast on Apple and Spotify and visit ukfinance.org.uk to access our supporting educational material.